Grief is a powerful response that not only affects us personally, but can also be the hidden root threatening your fostering marriage. How to navigate grief together. That's coming up next. A marriage that takes on the fostering journey. That's what we call a fostering marriage. And this is the show where you learn to keep your marriage the priority and make fostering fit into it, not the other way around. Welcome to the Fostering Marriage Podcast. Today, we're discussing how to recognize and navigate grief together in marriage because grief is such a big part of the fostering and even the adoption journey. And today is a very special day. We have a very special guest with us, Dr. Melody Aguayo. Uh, She is our friend. She is our doctor. She's our teacher. uh, And Melody is a parenting coach with an absolutely huge heart for families and children. And with so many years under her belt, Melody's kind of seen it all from high risk kids needing a guiding hand to those neurotypical dynamos that keep parents on their toes. She's all about swapping out those stressful control battles for a home filled with joy and peace. And we can personally attest to that. But Melody, she's not your average coach. She digs deep in understanding what makes parents tick and occasionally ticked off. She has her master's in marriage and family therapy from East Tennessee State University. That's near my neck of the woods growing up in Knoxville and uh, and a PhD in psychology from Capella University. Plus, she's a certified TBR practitioner and circle of security parent trainer. But here's the thing. She says it's her own journey as a parent that has been her greatest teacher She's a wife and a mother of two adopted children and our parenting coach, Melody. Welcome to the Fostering Marriage Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Wow. What a great and undeserving intro. I, I would beg to uh, disagree, my friend. Highly deserved. I know you, deserved. you've helped us so much in our parenting journey. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're you so either welcome. turn your pain into purpose or it becomes anger and resentment. Yeah. yeah. Amen. So, Melody, why don't we get started? Why don't you tell us how you got started on this journey? Yeah, so we um, we set out to adopt our children. We kind of, I, I had that in mind before I even met my spouse. So that was part of, part of that negotiating that you do as you're early in the relationship. You know, this is what I want. Are we on the same page you know, are we headed the right direction? And we were. And so we decided to start with adoption. Um, and we went to, well, to Ethiopia and we brought home two kiddos. One was 15 months old and one was four months old. And my understanding of adoption up until that point was that as soon as I brought my children home, their distress would end and their healing would begin. And instead what happened is um, my son's distress just continued and our distress began. And that was about 19 years ago at this point, a little, almost 19 years ago. That sounds uh, familiar other than the Ethiopia parts. We went to Murfreesboro, (laughs) a whole one county over. Yeah, but it doesn't that resonate. Yes, it resonates so well for yes. us that that you think you you have this idea and this expectation that as you put it, healing is going to begin, and 
distress is going to end and how you described it is exactly what we experience. And I imagine exactly what so many of you listening have, have experienced as well. Yeah, it's, it's hard stuff. And not everyone experiences that in adoption. For our daughter, certainly healing did begin as soon as she got home. And, and yeah. it has shown in her ability to reach her full potential. But for our son, we may never experience healing. So you often say that so much of your experience and your knowledge came from your own experiences. Like I read, you have all these academic achievements, um, degrees, you've studied a lot, but you really tout your own experience as being your greatest teacher. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So I, I really don't believe you can understand the complexity of living with a child with complex developmental trauma unless you live with them. You can understand what happens to their brain. You can understand how it affects their behaviors. You can have the words to describe it. But if you have never lived in it and prepared yourself for years and years of that sort of stress, then um, then you're really ill-equipped. And I was certainly ill-equipped. I was going to be the most fantastic parent until I became one. And then, gosh darn it, um, you know, I was, I was outmatched by a two-year-old. Gosh. Yep. Yeah. That sounds very familiar. You know, we're talking today a lot about grief. And so I'd love to ask you, how does grief just most negatively impact a couple? Um, can you explain how grief commonly manifests in couples who are involved in fostering? Yeah. So I think that we all, when we grieve, we typically go to our most comfortable stress state, our most comfortable reactive state, whatever that is. And for me, that's a fight state. And, um, and so I take the role of figuring out what to do next and trying other resources and research and driving, you know, six states away to find the right practitioner. I'm the person who kind of directs all that stuff in a stress state. Um, and my spouse in his most stressed out states, that's the best of my stress state, by the way. Fight does not always look like that. It doesn't always, it doesn't always look as productive. For my spouse, he is, um, he goes into kind of a freeze state when he's really stressed. Um, in his, at his best, he's super, super supportive in that state. He can get a lot of the details done so that we can get the big stuff done. And so, yeah, definitely we go to different places in our grief and we've really learned to not just give each other the space for that, but encourage each other's healthy coping before we see each other unravel, which and here's here's the hard thing, y'all. As long as you stay tender towards your children, it hurts. There's no escaping the grief of the pain as long as you stay tender and vulnerable, which we have to do. Yeah, I would say that when you say that, my mind immediately goes to um, how do you keep from going to that, okay, hardened, I'm over you, and you put your own walls up. How do you prevent yourself from going to that place? Yeah. So I think that one thing I um, 
I remind myself of constantly is, um, and particularly earlier on when we hit these stressed out states, we've been married now almost 25 years and we really do work well together. And I, and, and we rarely have conflict at this point, but we had to work out how to grieve together and how to raise a child with so many special needs together when we rarely have control. So that, you know, we had to navigate a lot of things that I never saw coming into marriage. I saw navigating romance and communication and boundaries and other things, but I never saw that we would have to deal with this. So I think paying attention and continuing to pay attention to what you love about your spouse is really important. And sometimes when we're grieving, we stop paying attention to anything except our own grief. And then we get lost in this sad world of disconnection Um, when your spouse is still there and usually still doing all the amazing things they've always done that you love about them, but you've just stopped paying attention to those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. easily done. Yeah. So Melody, I'm, I'm thinking about, especially the early days of when we started fostering, there was a period of time I didn't even recognize that I was grieving. And I just felt stress. How can couples recognize signs of grief in themselves and in each other? Yeah. So, um, well, there's different stages of grief and, and anger is one of those. Denial is one of those. Negotiation, bargaining is one of those. Sadness is another. So if you are stuck in any of those spaces or vacillating from one to the other, you're probably grieving. I did a lot of negotiation. I did a lot of bargaining. I did a lot of, God, if you just take this from me, I I will give you my right arm. I will give you my career. I will give you all the money I make. I will just do it all. If you just, you know, show some results here. Um, I did a lot of getting angry and sometimes at the wrong people. Sometimes I would get angry at the teacher who couldn't control my child instead of understanding that blame is really the easy way out. It's, it's, it's kind of the, the cheater's way of dealing with problems. Um, and then, you know, you can get stuck in your sadness or you can just avoid it altogether. And some people will do that. And it, it's easy to do that. There are times still when I think denial is a beautiful thing when I can have five or 10 moments with my child and, and they're just so normal that for a moment, for a moment or for 10 minutes, I forget how hard things are. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think that, that that can help us sometimes that it gives our brains just a little bit of a break. I don't think we always have to be stuck in the sadness of it. We have to be able to experience those moments of joy and connection, especially when the years are just hard. Yeah, totally. So what are, what are some of the common ways that you see grief affect the dynamics in marriage relationships? If you mean, you've worked with so many people, what are those top three, five things that you see probably just over the years? Yeah. So I think one of the top things that I see is that parents will, instead of dumping their anger and sadness on their child, they will dump it on each other. Now, part of this is not 
that's actually more mature than dumping it on your child. So I'm not saying dump it on your child. (laughs) There's also better ways than dumping it on each other. But I think that's normal. I think it's normal when you start this journey to kind of have all of these feelings to know and understand I can't dump this on the two-year-old. So when my spouse comes home from work, I'm going to snap at him because he didn't get home fast enough. Um, I can remember being upset at my husband if he would stop at the gas station and go Mm. to the bathroom. Um, Ridiculous. When I think about it now, it's really ridiculous. It's kind of like survival mode responses. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just was literally dying to see his face at the end of the day to have a little reprieve, to be able to walk out the door and know that everybody would be okay with him. And so, you know, I would dump on him and, um, and, you know, we learned not to do that, but I think that that's one of the first things that it's super common that I see. And I don't, you know, there's not, I don't feel like there should be shame in reactivity, but there should be shame if we're not able to, Um, shame's not the right word. There should be some guilt in not being able to, to kind of go back and acknowledge what happened, acknowledge your part in it and try to move towards something a little healthier. So it's, it's reactivity. We all, you know, this is a new, nobody prepares you for this. So you have to give each other grace to learn how to do this well. So, and go go ahead. I was just going to say, if somebody's dealing with grief, then what do they do? You know, because obviously, like you said, we don't want to dump it on the two-year-old. We don't want to, you know, it's like, sure, I snap it at Joel for once or twice or whatever. But if that continues and it's a pattern, clearly we need some help. What, What can we do? What are some steps? So definitely counseling is super, super helpful because you have to make space for your grief, you have to make space to talk about it. You have to make space to express it. Expressing your grief as grief is really healthy. What I mean by that is it's sadness and it's fear. And so when we express it as grief versus anger or agitation or something else, then we can find joy on the other side of it. I really believe that. I believe you cannot find joy If you haven't grieved well, and in a situation like ours, continue to grieve well. Yeah, as you as you share things, I'm sitting here thinking, well, every time I listen to you, I'm always thinking about is where am I in this? What do I do? What do I not see? Um, You know, that there was just this moment the other day where we had a a really great day uh, with our with our six year old dynamo. Um, (laughs) And. And then, but then we discovered there was a sneaking around thing that happened targeting uh, his sister. And when we discovered it and, and realized it was him, I, I, I especially felt, I was like the, I felt so disappointed and I felt so like, gosh, in, in your mind goes to the future of is it ever going to get better mm-hmm. and is he is it always going to be a good day but then you find it wasn't a good day you were sneaking around doing this thing but my point of why i'm bringing all this up is because of how have i felt because i can go to that you know i'm just i will uh, now it's like now i'm just i'm angry mm-hmm. i'm mad 
and I just want distance from you. And it took about 24 hours for me to come back around to feel happy again because I felt stressed and I was quieter and I felt distant from everyone because of how disappointing that moment is. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's, I guess my question in that is, is how do I do better in those kinds of situations? And what mm-hmm. should I do? Cause I don't want it to be 24 hours before I recover. It's like, I want to do better than that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I want to normalize that experience because I think that um, the hardest, the time grief hits us the hardest is when it comes and goes and when it's been a bit that it visited us. So when you've had a really good day, when you've had a really good week, when you've had a really good month, and then you see those behaviors pop up again, that's the hardest kind of grief because you're feeling extra vulnerable. You're feeling extra connected to your child. And so you're just extra tender. So that's normal. I think that remembering that and just constantly keeping in mind that there is no peak that anybody ever reaches in parenting, that it literally you're you're going up and down, up and down, up and down mountains, your entire parenting journey. And there's going to be some up days that are really, really hard. And there's going to be some perfect days where the temperature is just right and you're swimming in the creek and everybody's having fun and. And there's going to be days you can't see one step in front of you and you lose your kid on the trail. Um, you know, there's going to be all sorts of days, but just, uh, I think you have to have compassion for yourself first before you can deal with anger. I believe. When should couples consider seeking professional help for their grief? You mentioned seeking help, but I mean, should, do you recommend that right away or what are your thoughts? I, on personally, I think it's, always good to invest in yourself and your marriage from early on in this process. And having somebody who is looking from the outside of your emotions is so helpful to have somebody pointing you a certain direction or giving you ideas. I've always on and off in all the seasons of our parenting um, sought out counsel. And it's really important to me because when I get stuck in my own feelings or when I get overwhelmed, I can't even think of ideas to try and having somebody just either just have compassion for me and the hard situation I'm in or, or challenge me to do better, to be better, to try something different. And, and I'm really okay with challenging myself and others, because I think it's, I would never ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So in marriages that because of these responses and grief and all this is so uh, misunderstood at times, you can be married to someone and you don't understand how they're responding and they don't understand your responses. Um, How do couples do better just being able to recognize that, oh, my spouse is dealing with grief or even being able to recognize that, wait a minute, I'm dealing with grief and that's really what's what's motivating so many of my my poor responses because that can co- so quickly turn into conflict and arguments and right. you're against me and I'm against you and it just devolves into something terrible. And that that's a great point. And really, I think it's a lack 
of communication and understanding. And, and we don't always know because again, most people, most people hopefully are not in a situation where they have to chronically deal with grief and stress and crisis, hopefully. So they see their spouse in crisis once in a while or once every four or five years, maybe when their spouse's parent dies, or maybe when their spouse loses a job or something like that. Whereas we see each other in crisis weekly, monthly, if it's a good month, that sort of thing. And, and so really, I think part of it is just, we just don't know what our spouse looks like in crisis. And so then we attribute what, what we think they should look like. So an example early on in our marriage when everything, well, not in our marriage, early on in our parenting, when things started to just get harder and harder and harder, his default was denial. Like, this is not really, I mean, I see other kids that are this active. I really think, you know, he's so smart. All all of that had some element of truth to it. Um, and then also he he doesn't, he's not, he wasn't, he is more now, but he wasn't a crier. So what I consider sadness is everybody let's sit down and cry together. That would be really nice. (laughs) I would feel so connected. (laughs) I'm with you on that. (laughs) Yes. But that is just that for us that that has happened a few times, but generally that's not where he goes with his sadness. He usually goes into really being comforted by his routine and needing that routine more than ever. I understand that now about my spouse. So like recently I had some bad news to tell him, which we have sometimes have bad news to tell each other. And so I texted him, he was upstairs. And I just said, just to let you know, I don't have great news, but just come down whenever you feel ready. And if that had happened 15 years ago, I would have run upstairs. I would have told him my bad news. I would have been hurt that he didn't want to sit and cry with me about it. I would have been hurt that he didn't have any words to comfort me in it. But now I just understand that's just not where he goes in his grief. And it's okay. I can still talk to him about it. He's a great listener. I can give him the space that he needs to process it. And he will, and and we do connect really well in that now. Yeah, I think that's so great. Just learning how your spouse grieves is so important so that you can give them that space. Yeah. It's like, it's like the more you get, the more you understand your spouse, the better expectations you can have, especially when they're, they're responding in a way that just doesn't make any sense to you at all. Like Mary Beth, it reminded me, this is completely not related to grief in the situation, (laughs) but a funny story about just getting to know each other. Remember when my back was all messed up, and, you know, and I'm laying in bed and I have a slip disc and it's on a nerve and I'm battling this all day long and it, it ruined oh. our plans. We're supposed to go to this art festival and my pain tolerance and ability to deal with pain is decently high. And so there was a disproportionate <laughs> response from me versus what I was dealing with. I know he was just, he was just laying there and I'm like, come on, let's go to this art show. And I'm so frustrated in the moment of like, I'm, I'm like, like this art show and you're just laying there on the bed. Like there's nothing wrong with you. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like, almost like I have a mild headache. It's, it was so funny. Oh, it was not funny in the moment. Yeah, afterwards. <laughs> and then months of physical therapy. Oh, oh man. Well, 
you know, talking about this and, and how we handle grief, this doesn't just affect us as a couple, but can you talk to us a little bit about how this affects the children that we're fostering or even other children in the home? Yes. And I do think, so for children, there's a difference in expectation. Like I expect um, adults to support and comfort each other in their grief, but not to have to regulate each other. So that's a different expectation than what I have when I discuss children and grief. And also I expect adults to, to spend some time dealing with their grief so that they can continue to communicate with their spouse and that sort of thing. Whereas sometimes children can't go there because it's just too big. So again, seek out counsel, seek out help. There are seasons where, um, where children need to talk about their grief a lot. And there are seasons where they can't talk about it because they can't manage their everyday life if they do. And it's really hard to be a sibling of a child with any kind of special needs. Siblings are very loyal. They're very loyal. And when you think about it, the, you know, growing up with other siblings, they're like your little history keepers, right? They're, they're the people you do everything with. They're, they, they make up such a big part of your childhood. Um, and they feel very responsible for each other. Siblings do. So it's hard to, we feel overwhelmed. And this is another thing that we do in our grief is we isolate our own emotions from others. So we stop thinking about gosh, if I am having a hard time handling this as a 43-year-old with a doctorate and a stable marriage, how on earth is my 18-year-old handling this? Like how? How are they handling it? And what do they need? And how can I support them? Um, and so, you know, we forget that and we forget that they're children and that they don't have the resources or the power that we have. If I want to get on a plane and fly to Mexico for a week, I can and escape. Um, our children don't have that same power and they're kind of stuck in their space and place, usually as children, you know, they can't just leave their third grade classroom if they don't like their teacher. Um, they can't just get a new bedroom if they don't like the sibling that they're sharing a room with, which, by the way, dysregulated children should never share a room with their siblings. Even if that means, um, you know, somebody sleeping in a tiny room, it's worth it. But, yeah, I mean, just considering that that children may need to really dive into it in seasons and in other seasons, they really may need to not. But don't ever forget that they're feeling it. So that reminds me of this same situation I was sharing earlier where uh, our six-year-old snuck in to, um, you know, his siblings, our biological children snuck in. Um, he tends to target one of them. Um, and he went and broke uh, this clay thing that she had made. And then she comes and she she sees it, responds, says, hey, this wasn't like this before yada 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 and then we start piecing the situation together not the not the clay thing together that's beyond repairable um and then she she handled it with such poise and grace and just yeah 
this has happened because it's, it's just another thing that's happened. But I was yesterday morning, I was reflecting um, and I told her, I said, Elise, I'm so proud of you for how you've handled this situation. And I said, truthfully, I said, I think you've handled it better than I have. And for her, that's like, how could I possibly handle something better than daddy can? And, and she's, and she's so funny. She's such a sweetie and she's a rescuer. Sometimes she's like, I think, I think we've handled it probably about the same. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no, I said, I said, cause you don't know, you don't know what I'm feeling on the inside. And, but what you're saying is it, it throws me back to, to that, that conversation I was having with her because I was so proud. And then watching her all day, she continued to play with him, play cards with him, spend time. And it so speaks to that loyalty that you were bringing up. Yeah. yeah. The grace and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And children move in and out of grief. Children grieve differently than adults. So they will, when it hits them, it's like a wave. It's like a tsunami. But when it's not there, we don't have to continue to talk about it. We want to we want to invite on occasion, but then we also want to release if it's not the right time. Whereas for adults, I would say when we're grieving, it's usually pretty steady. It's usually a season of grief. So if one spouse is grieving and another is not, what are some things the non-grieving spouse should not do, like avoid at all mm-hmm. costs? Well, I would imagine that if one spouse is grieving, that both spouses are grieving. They're just in different grief phases. I'm just, I have a hard time imagining why one parent would grieve and not the other, if they have the same interests, love and compassion for their child. Um, I think one thing that's really good for parents to do is to kind of sit down and 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 have the conversation of what did we what did we want for our child what did we expect this would be like and when when does grief hit you in an unexpected way because i think what you're describing is someone who doesn't express their grief but it's not someone who doesn't feel the grief yeah, or I've they never, just don't recognize it they would just say yeah, oh no i'm, I'm really not. fine i'm really yes. not grieving at all yeah sometimes yeah yeah but i think that i think that when you dive a little deeper i think that that it will just be an unexpressed or yeah like i'm too afraid to even mention this because what if it's real i'm not going to accept and i've had a lot of people who i don't i don't do any diagnosing but who will say you know so and so diagnosed my child with this and one parent says yes it definitely fits and the other parent says no way my child does not have anything like that. I was exactly like that when I was my child's age. Um, but even that level of agitation to me indicates grief. So I think when you sit down and you talk about when does it hit you? When do you feel sad? We don't even have to call it grief. We can just talk about when does the sadness hit you that, you know, what did you expect? It would be like to have a son. We have those conversations. And at this age, what did we think that that was going to look like? And, you know, we certainly didn't expect um, unreasonable things. But we also didn't expect what we have now. And so, you know, we talk about when does the grief hit you? And I know for um, my spouse one time, it was the um, we went over to a friend's house and they have two two children also from also from African countries. And man, compared to our child, they were just 
so um, normal. And, um, and, and he was feeling the sadness of that. Like, what would it be like to have a son that could help you move furniture? What would it be like to have a son that would be interested in fixing the car with you? Just those little things that, that for him, he was feeling in that moment. And for me, it's other times, you know, when I watch kids be baptized or, when I, um, it's other times and sometimes it's unexpected, but we're able to talk about that. We're able to talk about those, those moments of sadness and experience them together and then, and then move on. Yeah. I know when I was, when I get to a point of grieving, um, for me, sometimes that just looks like hiding, (laughs) you know, and just not wanting to deal with anything. Um, how do you recommend that parents prevent burnout when they still have to parent and they still yeah. have to be in, in the, in the thick of things and they're still grieving at the same time? Yeah. So I really, really, really value the concept, the principle of staying moving no matter what. So keep, try your best to keep your routine, get out of the house, have a little fun even if you know going into it, I'm not going to have any fun. I'm having the worst day ever. I don't want to take my kids to the pool or I don't want to go to my friend's house for dinner or I certainly don't want to go to Bible study. Um, I think that the, the times you want to hide the most are the times you need to push yourself to to keep moving. Um, especially if you're dealing with grief constantly, because it's so easy to end up stuck in that space where you really are isolated, not just from your spouse, but from your social community, from your family, from your church, um, because you can't do this for 20 years and stay isolated. Yeah, you can do I- it for a week or two and stay isolated, but yeah. I love that. It was, I was telling Joel on the way here, um, that yesterday I ended up going out with a friend, but it had been a week and I just, I wasn't feeling great. I was exhausted. And then I get in the car and the battery light comes on and it's raining and the Creek by our house is coming up close to the road. And I almost turned around and came home and I was like, no, I, I need to go and hang out with my friend. And I went and I can't even tell you like just how refreshing that was. And I feel like I came home just ready to get back into things again. That's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. And, um, and, you know, we can do that for each other in a marriage too. And my spouse and I do that really well for each other where he kind of recharges with alone time. Um, He knows I recharge with children and friends. And so if I am having a week like that, he will say, um, he will say, let's have uh, our nephews and niece to spend the weekend with us let's um, why don't you go to so-and-so we have a couple of close neighbor friends um, and he'll say, why don't you go over to their house tonight and just, just visit for a while, or he'll just invite them over. Like he's gotten really good at just knowing exactly what, what helps me feel like I can keep one foot in front of the other. Yeah, that's uh this conversation ties in really well to the next question, which is really about resiliency and that, how do couples build resiliency together 
when they're looking over the long term, dealing with unmet expectations and grief and just all the challenges involved here? Yeah, well, I think that that when you deal with challenges well, that it always improves your intimacy. And so if we can just dive into that, how are we going to deal with this challenge? Well, um, I honestly think that your, your marriage strengthens to a point where you cannot imagine anything undoing it. And that really is possible. I wouldn't have said that 20 years ago. Um, I have a lot more trust and confidence in my spouse now than I ever have just because I've seen him walk through some unbelievably difficult things with complete kindness and integrity. Um, And so I think that the resilience develops in the grief and in the challenge and in the repair when we mess up. I think that's where the trust and resilience develops. And really it's, it's exactly what our children need but sometimes their history impairs them from receiving that lesson. But we can continue to grow in vulnerability and trust with each other, even if our children are not learning the same lesson. And we have to be, we have to have integrity to ourselves. I think, you know, our, our spouse witnesses us at our best and at our worst. And they have to have both compassion for us and also sometimes challenge us. Mm-hmm. And those can be hard things to to hold in the same space, but I think if you guys if you can if you can navigate that, the balance of I'm going to say this kindly but it needs to change. Um then you can build really resilient marriages. Yeah, love that. So what are the most important things that you want couples to remember about navigating grief and fostering? The most important thing is that you're on the same team. And if you don't feel like you're on the same team, then get help immediately. Because I think most parents, if they sit down and write out goals for their kids, most of those goals would be aligned. So we're on the same team. I think grief and sadness sometimes makes us want to pit against each other, but but that's but that's never helpful. It seems like a lot of couples would say that, yeah, we're on the same team, but then you'll see where um, they don't have the same parenting styles, and they judge the other one's style, or their one is resistant to changing and learning and flexing no matter what. And, and their parenting styles are so different that that creates so much division. I know this is a monster question I'm asking here, but any tips or advice for, for anyone who's struggling with that? That is a really big question. And I do sometimes work with, I love it when I get to work with couples and when they come to me as a couple, but I would say probably half the time one parent comes to me. And then in the process of our coaching journey, sometimes the other parent joins and sometimes the other parent doesn't join. Um, the thing about adults is their will has to be, they have to have a willing will per se. Will matters, right? You can't make another person want something they don't want. But you can behave in such a way that um, 
that invites that person to participate with you versus pushes that push person away from participating with you. And and I have seen that happen too, where one parent, um, maybe they're maybe they are making better choices than the other parent, but they're also pushing the other parent out of the parenting ring. And so then the other parent, you know, walks away. And then the parent in the ring is angry that the other parent rocked away. But I'm watching this dynamic where, yes, they're doing they maybe they have a better skill set for parenting that child, but they're also not including their spouse or making space for their spouse to parent that child as well. Um, And I know there's some situations where, you know, where there are parents who just aren't safe. Um, hopefully in those situations, there, there would be a, a separation or a divorce or, or something along those lines. I know that happens, but that's, that's less frequent than what we're discussing. Yeah. Cause it seems like there are those situations where there can, there can be that parent. that's like, you know what? It's like, it, maybe it's a kid that's working like with you or another mm-hmm. coach or counselor and the parent that isn't getting help just, you know, has the mindset of, you know what, that, that kid just needs to straighten up. They just need more consequences. They need all, whatever it may be that we may have uh, expectations of a child with secure, healthy attachment that doesn't have trauma that, I mean, you know, not that the attitude of they should just straighten up should probably ever be the right attitude, but you probably get what I'm saying here. But there is just that, that resistance to really see no, there's so much more going on here with our child than than we may realize. But there yeah. can be that. Is it so? Like, what what have you experienced that keeps that that parent in that place of like, nope, they just they just need to straighten up. They just need to behave. They just need to go to their room, kind of kind of mindset and style. I think it's a a lack of understanding, and sometimes it's pride, and sometimes it's fear. But I will say I have a lot of trust in parents because I've seen so many parents change from that person to being a person who dives in completely committed and willing and learning and engaged. And so, like, I think it's again, I think that can be just part of the grief process and not necessarily a state of mind. I think I, I I think it's harder for a spouse to call that out in a person than another person. So that's why I think it's so important to have somebody else who you know is on everybody's side, who you know doesn't have an agenda except the health of your family, who doesn't have a history and those triggers with you. I think it can just be super helpful. Yeah, that's such a good point. Well, Dr. Melody, thank you so much for your time and wisdom. I know I'm going to come back and listen to this episode at least once, if not 20 times. Um, We do have one final question for you. It's a little personal. Who loads the dishwasher better? Oh, my husband. (laughs) For sure. He does does everything better than me, except socialize, talk about feelings, or read and write papers. (laughs) I mean... He's, 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 he's very detailed. He's very smart and he loves, he loves to clean. <laughs> so, so you have a keeper is what you're yeah, saying. I do guess. have a keeper. <laughs> That's so great. So Melody, how can listeners find and connect with you? Okay. So I have um, Instagram and Facebook, Real Child Consulting. 
Um, and also we have a private Facebook group where we do a monthly training, uh, bi-monthly support calls and weekly questions and answers. And it's a private group, um, which I really recommend for couples. It's $50 for, for both, for both people in the family and, um, everything's recorded so they can go back and watch and learn. Um, just doing something in community where you're both doing it together, where you're both committed to learning and growing can be so connecting for, for couples. Yeah. And Joel and I are part of that group. It's phenomenal. It has been well, well worth. I say the all the time, the value that you, that we get in this group is so far beyond what you pay for it. I mean, the value is immense yeah. friends who are listening. So seriously look into this. Thank you. And that was the, that was the idea. God led me to do this group so that everybody would have access to good education. Yeah. Well, we've got it and you all can get it too. Thank you guys. So thanks for listening to the Fostering Marriage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help us reach more foster parents and caregivers. As always, if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, please feel free to reach out to us at fosteringmarriage.com. We're here to support you in this fostering journey. We hope this has been helpful for you. Join us on the next episode of the Fostering Marriage Podcast. Podcast.